0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I am a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening All right, good morning. Somebody knows the Lord's Prayer over here, I heard it. it, sounded good. All right, church, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, we're continuing our sermon series through Hebrews, and as you turn, I got another goofy dad joke for you. You know why I hate elevator music? Because it's bad on so many levels. <laughs> levels. All right, let's go. The writer, in Hebrews, the writer is a pastor, and he's preaching a sermon to a church comprised of Jewish Christians. And as I've said, I keep saying this church is, is going through prolonged suffering. And as a result, this church is tempted to turn away from the Lord. They're term, tempted to turn away from Christ and return to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And it looks like some of them have already done that, and so he keeps on telling them, even if you're going through suffering, you've got to press into Jesus. You've got to keep trusting in the Lord. And at the end of chapter 10, we saw last month that he gives both this warning and encouragement. He does this a lot. And then in 11, he presents this extended teaching on faith, often called the hall of faith. So that's the context. The context of this, as I keep trying to remind us, is that the Hebrews is about faith in the midst of suffering. Okay, so as I've said, if you're going through suffering, Hebrews is a really great book to live in because it's about keeping your faith during suffering. All right, uh, so this chapter eleven is probably the most famous chapter in Hebrews. It's just a beloved chapter by, by millions of Christians, and, and I love it as well. So today we're just going to look at uh, at verses four through seven. Okay, so he's given this example of these heroes of the faith. And it, he starts out with Abel, Enoch, and Noah. All right, so let's read the passage, and then we'll we'll kind of go through it. So this is Hebrews eleven, verses four through seven. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, so that's all we're going to look at today. Um, in, the, in the future, I'm probably going to pick up the pace, but I, but I really like this section, and one of the things that I've found is that there is a, there's a structure to these three guys, and I want to credit uh, Sinclair Ferguson with this. Sin, you know, Sinclair Ferguson. Sinclair Ferguson from Scotland. Um, Ferguson's pointed out that there's a structure to these verses, and what we see in these three Old Testament saints, is Abel, Enoch, and Noah, is this. We're going to see faith displayed in three things in worship, intimacy, and obedience. Okay? Worship, intimacy, and obedience. I want you to see that. So the t- that's the title of my sermon. It's simply faith seen in worship, intimacy, and obedience, and what the writer is doing, he's saying, "Look at these men; they're wonderful examples of faith in God." Again, he's speaking to Jewish Christians, and he's saying, "Just like these Old Testament saints, these these, these Old Testament believers, you can continue in your faith in God despite going through suffering." Okay, I said this last week, and I want to stress it again: faith is internal certainty of unseen realities. Internal certainty of unseen realities. And the writer is saying you can be strong in your faith. You can have this internal certainty about God, who he is, and his promises. And you can maintain this because God will sustain you. Even through suffering, God will sustain you through the uncertainty of the future, for example, because God's going to carry you through. Also, I, I think this is helpful. There is a sense in which, right, we either have saving faith or you don't. You either have it, it's either there or it's not there. So that 's the way it is with saving faith. but when we 're talking about life like day to day life as a follower of Christ, faith is not a static thing. Faith doesn't just remain the same. our faith can grow and strengthen, and the same way our faith can weaken and diminish. okay So faith is a fight, and we need to be people who are fighting for faith, and it requires us to be people who are trusting the Lord to strengthen and grow in our faith, and it requires All right, let's look at verse 4. This is a description of Abel, and what I'm I'm seeing here with Abel is faith displayed in worship, faith seen in worship. Look at verse 4, Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay, I'm going to ask you to keep your, keep your place in Hebrews 11, but turn back to Genesis chapter 4, okay? Genesis 4. And actually, what's cool about this, Hebrews 11 is, chap, is verse 4 is Genesis chapter 4. Verse 5 is Genesis chapter 5. Verses 7 about Noah, you can find that in, in Genesis 6 and 7, so it's kind of easy to remember. So let's look at Genesis 4, and this is about Abel, and this will give us some context, Okay. So Genesis 4, we'll look at verses 1 to 4. We'll give the context about about what the writer of the Hebrews is saying here. Genesis 4, we'll actually look at verses 1 to 5. Genesis 4, 1 to 5. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. Notice the words, an offering of the fruit of the ground. Verse 4. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell and then later on what we find out is that Cain actually murders Abel okay but again notice look at again the words there in Genesis says Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portion offering a sacrifice is an act of worship okay and back in Hebrews 11 verse 4 it says by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain now there's been some debate about which, you know, what's the importance of the sacrifice or, you know, whether it's an animal, is that the important thing, or whether it's a, a grain offering. And some people have stressed the fact that, that Abel brought this animal sacrifice and there's a, picture, there's a picture of atonement there, right? But in the Old Testament, there was animal sacrifices and there were grain offerings. So you had all of these there. So it's not like, like an animal sacrifice is necessarily better. And I think what the writer to the Hebrews is saying back in Hebrews 11, verse 4, is the important thing is not the actual offering. The important thing is faith, is the faith of Abel. Faith is seen in his worship of God, that as as we're talking about faith being this internal certainty, Abel had this internal certainty that God is glorious and worthy of praise and honor. In fact, the word worship, the word worship, we get it from the word worth. So by faith, Abel had this... internal certainty about God's great worth Abel had an internal certainty that God was worthy of his best the best offering that's the words he uses the first of the flock the fat portion that's what Genesis 4 is saying so he's saying Abel was in other words Abel was displaying his faith through worship he was saying that God was first in his life and, and Abel was commended by God for this That's what it's talking about in Hebrews 11, verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. If you go back to Hebrews 11, in, in Hebrews 11, verse 2, at the introduction of the chapter, it says, For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. So they received their commendation from God, and that's exactly the same word here in verse 4 about Abel, they were, Abel was commended by God as righteous, okay? So it's saying that, that God commended Abel for his faith, and his faith was displayed in the fact that he offered the first of the flock, the fast portions, the best, okay? When it talks about Cain back in Genesis 4, it says that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. It doesn't say the first fruit, It doesn't say the best. He just made an offering. It's almost like he just was looking around at leftovers, and then he offers that to God. And what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is that's not real faith. That's not genuine faith when you just offer to God the leftovers, whereas Abel gives gives God his best, and he did this by faith. So, again, he had this internal certainty that God is worth my best. He had an internal certainty that God is so glorious and wonderful, that he's worthy of the best of everything I have, my time, my money, my giftedness, all of that. So in the life of Abel, faith is seen in worship. It's revealed by a person who has, again, this internal certainty that God is so awesome and glorious that I want to give my whole life to him as an act of worship. This internal certainty that God is worth my best, not just my leftovers. And Hebrews 11.4 says that although Abel was killed by his brother, though he died, he still speaks. His faith still speaks. His life was a testimony about the worth of God. And I can tell you that's what I want from my life. And I want it from your life, that your life and my life, people will be able to say, yeah, his, his life was seen. His faith, her faith was seen in the way that he or she gave God the best, right? Not just the leftovers. That person didn't just give Christ the leftovers like Abel. I want others to see my faith in the way that I worship God and the way I live my life. I want to give Jesus my best. All right, so Abel's faith was shown to be genuine through his worship, all right? Faith seen in worship. It's the same for us, and I would just challenge us on this. If Jesus is first in our lives, if he's the most important thing in our lives, if we have this internal certainty About that, then the fruit of faith will be seen in our worship and how we live and how we serve the Lord. All right, let's look back at Hebrews 11, verse 5, and this is about Enoch. And in Enoch, what we see is faith is seen in intimacy. Faith is seen in intimacy with God. Let's look at Hebrews 11, verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended. There it is again. He was commended as having pleased God. Okay? I'm going to go back to Genesis. And we're gonna, I'm going to look at Genesis 5. And to get the context of Enoch. Enoch is a strange character. We just get this little snippet about him. But there's been all sorts of stuff written about Enoch based on this little passage. But, Enoch, I mean, uh, Genesis 5, beginning verse 21. Genesis 5, 21. Just a few verses here. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Verse 22. Notice the phrase here. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, there it is again, he not walked with God, and he was not, for God took him, okay, that's all it says, now what's interesting about Genesis 5, if you get the context, there's a pattern as you go through Genesis 5, if you, if you look at Genesis 5, verse 5, it's talking about Adam, it says, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Okay, look at verse eight, verse eight. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Verse 11, thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. And it goes on like this. So-and-so lived and he died and he died. And then you come to Enoch and he didn't die. It says he walked with God and then God took him, okay? He was not for God took him. So Enoch walked with God. And, and, uh, and then God took him An old preacher said that Enoch and God were walking together and God said, you know what? We're closer to my house than your house. So let's just go to my house. You know, (laughs) back in, back in Hebrews 11, it says that Enoch was commended as having pleased God and he was taken up so he didn't see death. And why was he commended? Because he pleased God. Why did he please God? Because of his faith, because of his faith. And that's what we see without, in the next verse in verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Enoch had this great faith, and his faith was seen by the fact that he walked with God. And what I think the Lord is telling us in this is that Enoch's faith was seen in his intimacy with God. That phrase, walking with God, it's repeated twice in Genesis. Walking with God is a picture of living moment by moment in the presence of God. It's intimacy with God. So Enoch's faith was seen in his intimacy with God. Walking with God, walking with Christ, living in the the moment by moment, doing this in the presence of God is intimacy, okay? It's this awareness of the Lord, awareness of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day lives, in the mundane. This is a picture of living by faith, living in close communion with the Lord, just walking with God continuously. Many times the Christian life is seen as a journey. It's a long walk. If you think about the book Pilgrim's Progress, the main character is Christian and his life is seen as a journey from the city of destruction. It's a long journey, go through all these obstacles and his end point is the celestial city. So walking with God is just a picture of living by faith, living in intimate relationship, intimate communion with the Lord. It's the life of faith. In other words, just being aware of the presence of God in your day-to-day life. I think this is a picture of Enoch's faith, walking with God. The old-timers used to talk about practicing the presence of God. I like that, practicing the presence of God. In other words, it's simply being aware of God's presence on a moment-by-moment basis as, as you live. And how do you do that? How do you have an awareness of God's presence? You can't see God right? He's unseen. Jesus tells us that he'll never leave us, but I can't see him. We're told that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, but I can't see him. These are unseen realities, but we are aware of God's presence. How? By faith. By faith. Having this internal certainty of these unseen realities. Having this certainty Being convinced that the triune God is with me at all times. I'm always in his presence and we believe this by faith. So walking with God, being aware of his presence, being in constant communion with God and just rejoicing, just rejoicing in the fact that the Lord is near. This is faith. Just just enjoying being with my Lord. This is what we do with friends, right? Right? When we gather with friends, we just enjoy being with our friends. We don't have an agenda. We just enjoy being around, with, around them and talking with them listening to them. We enjoy sharing a meal with them, right? This is experiencing intimacy with friends. Well, it's the same with God. If we have faith in Christ, we should want these frequent times of intimacy with the Lord on a constant basis. When we understand that he's near us. When we understand that he, he, is, he loves us, we want to be in his presence and we do this by faith. This is walking with God. So there's no agenda. It's just spending time with him, talking with him in prayer, listening him speak to us through his word, just enjoying his presence. And I'll ask, do, do you have those times with God where you're just in his presence on a continuing basis? I want to encourage you to have those times. And we can do that right now, right? Right now, the Lord is here. And we can be aware by faith of his presence near us. Just having an awareness that he's, he's with us and he loves us. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for me and for all of us. I want us to walk with God like Enoch did, by faith. Because this is what pleases the Lord, okay? Okay. So Enoch walked with God, he enjoyed intimacy with God, his faith was seen in intimacy. So remember Abel's faith was seen in worship, Enoch's faith was seen in intimacy with God, walking with God by faith. And now we look at Hebrews 6, and this gives a little side note, it interrupts the the discussion about these, these Old Testament saints and describes faith, okay? Hebrews 11.6 says without faith it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So drawing near to God by faith, again, this is intimacy with the Lord, and it's pleasing to him. This is real faith, and it pleases God. And notice this. It says whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists so by faith we believe that God exists he's real he's not something we just make up right he's real he's the sovereign and holy God of the universe he's real also notice this it says he exists he exists not it so God is personal God is personal actually he's three persons he's father son and holy spirit And because he's personal, that means that you can have a personal relationship with him. You can't have a personal relationship with a force, right? You can't have a personal relationship with karma, but you can have a loving, personal relationship with the triune God. You can know that you're loved by him. Also in verse 6, it says that not only must we believe that he exists, but that he rewards those who seek. So God rewards those who seek him. If you seek him, if you're seeking the Lord by faith, then he will reward you. In fact, think about the reward, okay? God will reward you by giving you the greatest thing imaginable. God will reward you by giving the greatest thing possible. You know what that is? It's God himself. <laughs> He's the reward. He's the greatest reward. The greatest gift that God can give is himself. So if you seek the Lord, he will reward you by giving you himself. And that's the greatest thing possible. So we draw near to him. We seek him by faith. We seek intimacy and communion with him. We worship him by faith, and he will reward those by giving, him, giving us himself, which is the best thing. And by the way, he'll also throw in a bunch of little stuff like eternal life and eternal joy and a resurrected glorified body and living in eternal bliss on the new earth, perfect joy-filled friendships on the new earth forever, you know, nothing but joy and love and peace, no, no more anxiety or sadness, just little stuff like that. But the greatest thing that he gives us is himself, okay? He throws all that other stuff in as a bonus, which is awesome. All right, let's look at verse 7. Verse 7, remember in Abel... Faith is seen in worship, in Enoch, faith is seen in intimacy. Now we look at verse 7, it's about Noah. And in Noah, it's faith seen in obedience, faith seen in obedience. So let's look at verse 7. It says, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So in Genesis 6 and Genesis 7, I might, we don't have any turn there, but in Genesis 6 and Genesis 7, Noah's faith is seen in obedience. This is Genesis 6.22, after God gives him the directions on building an ark, says this, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So, so Noah's faith was seen in his obedience to the Lord. He built the ark just like God commanded him. Anybody been to the ark encounter in Kentucky? Anybody been there? That thing is massive, isn't it? So that's a a life-size replica of the, the ark that Noah built, and it was over 500 feet long. So Noah is building this thing almost two football fields long. And it probably took him, I'm sure it took him decades. There's one instance in the scripture where it makes it sound like it took him 120 years to build this thing. Okay, So the ark was just massive. But Noah obeyed the Lord, and he built the ark, and he did it by faith. And Hebrews 11, 7 said that that Noah did this after he was warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. So events not yet seen. So he obeyed out of reverent fear of the Lord. He revered God. He honored God. And he had this healthy fear of the Lord. And as a result of his faith, the fruit of his faith was that he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So Noah's obedience was the fruit of his faith. In other words, his faith was seen in his obedience. He did all that God commanded him because, again, he had this internal certainty of unseen realities. Remember, events not yet seen. I'm sure that when Noah was building that massive thing out in the middle of a field somewhere, that the culture around him was mocking him. I'm sure they were laughing at him. What a fool would build this massive thing just in the middle of a field, right? But he had faith and he persevered. The flood was not seen. It was events, not yet seen. But Noah had this internal certainty that the flood was coming because God told him it was coming. He knew it. He couldn't see it, but by faith he obeyed, and he did all that God commanded him. And it says, by faith, by his faith and obedience, he condemned the world. I'm sure the world condemned Noah as he was building that ark, but by his faith he triumphed, and ultimately both God and Noah condemned the world. The world was condemned when the flood came. And as I said, I'm sure Noah was being laughed at and mocked, but the fear of man had little power over Noah because he cared more about pleasing God than he did about the mocking and scorning of those around him. Noah desired to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He desired to hear that. And as a result, the mocking of people just didn't have power over him. Also, it says in verse 7, he became an heir of righteousness. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He inherited God's righteousness. And the same thing happens to us. This is the proclamation of the gospel. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness as credited to our account by faith. So when God sees us, he doesn't see our filthy sin anymore. He sees Jesus' righteousness covering us. And this is the good news of the gospel. Okay, so in Noah, faith is seen in obedience. So Abel, faith is seen in worship. Enoch, faith is seen in intimacy. And in Noah, faith is seen in obedience. I wanna go back to verse six. I wanna think about this when it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith pleases God. So I want us to just ponder this. I wanna ask this question. Why does faith please God? What is it about real faith that pleases God? Well, to answer it, let's flip it around a little bit and let's make it personal, okay? Ask it this way. Why does a lack of faith displease God, okay? As I said, let's apply it to our own lives. Think about this. If someone does not believe in you, if someone doesn't trust you, if if someone doesn't think you'll be able to handle some situation, or if they don't believe you're gonna keep your word, how do you respond? If you say you're going to do something and you have the ability to do it and you're going to do it and you're, you're, you're dead set on doing this thing, but this person doesn't believe you. They don't, they don't trust you. They think you're lying or they don't think you can handle it. They think you'll mishandle the situation. How do you respond? Does that please you? No, it's disrespectful, right? It's disrespectful. It's demeaning, if you've said you're going to do something, you have the ability to do it, but instead of trusting you, instead of a person having faith in you, they say, I just don't trust you. I don't think you can handle this. That's demeaning, and it's disrespectful. Imagine, imagine a little girl. She wants to help mom. She's in the kitchen trying to cut up carrots, right? She's doing a fine job. She may be a little slow, but she's doing a fine job. But mom comes in and says, just get out. Just, I'll, I'll take over. Just get away. I got it. You can't handle it. I got it. See how demeaning that is? I got it, get out of the way, I'll take over. It's demeaning. It's not honoring to that little girl. It's not respectful. Well, it's the same with God. And you know what? Our Lord is not a little child trying to do his best. He's a sovereign and holy God ruling the universe. He's got everything under control. And when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it, okay? When he makes a promise, he's going to fulfill it. But if we don't trust him, If our lives show that we want to be in control and we don't want him to be in control, if we're essentially saying this, we may not say it by our words, but by our actions, if we're saying, God, I've given you enough opportunities in this, right? It's clear you can't handle it. So just get out of the way and I'll take over. You see how disrespectful and demeaning that is. As I said, we probably won't do that with our words, but often with our lives, we live this way. We live in a way where we show that we don't trust God. On the other hand, if our lives show that we're trusting in the Lord, that we believe he's good, that we have this certainty that he loves us, that we have this absolute certainty that he's going to work everything out like he says he will. If by our lives we're saying, Heavenly Father, you know what? You're my Abba. You're my dad. And you know what's best for my life. Not me. I don't know what's best for my life, but you do. I'm certain of that. And I know, I know this, Father, that you not only know what should happen in my life, you know when it should happen, right? A lot of times it's the when part is the hardest for us. If we say with our lives, Lord Jesus, I'm certain you love me. I'm certain you got this under control. And so I'm going to wait on your timing on this because you know what's best for me. If we're saying this to our God, that's faith and it's honoring to our Lord and it brings him glory, it pleases him. And that's why faith pleases God, okay? All right, so that's the passage and I wanna close with this. I mentioned last week that at the end of each sermon in Hebrews 11, I'm gonna try to offer some practical things to help us fight the fight of faith. So I wanna leave you with this thought. So think about what we've seen with Abel, And Enoch and Noah, again, with, with Abel, faith seen in worship, with Enoch, faith seen in intimacy, and with Noah, faith seen in obedience. Or we could say it this way, worship is the fruit of faith, intimacy is the fruit of faith, and obedience is the fruit of faith. So here's my encouragement. Here's my encouragement. This is practical stuff. Focus more on your faith than on the fruit of the faith, Okay? Here's what I mean. Put put your energy into trusting the Lord and what he has said. Put your energy in trusting his character rather than on your behavior or whatever, okay? Let's think about obedience. Let's think about obedience, growing in holiness, because this is our tendency. This is our tendency. Look at our behavior and think, okay, I've got to change this thing, right? I want to grow in obedience, so I need to change my behavior. We look at the end result. We look at the fruit or the lack of fruit. We look at the lack of holiness, lack of obedience, and we focus on that. But God doesn't want that to be our primary focus. What we're seeing in Hebrews is that things like worship, intimacy, obedience, they're the fruit of faith, the end result of faith. So our focus should be on our faith, on trusting the Lord, because God is the only one who can bring forth true fruit in our lives. That's what Jesus says in John 15. We looked at last week that he's the vine, we're the branches. Jesus is saying we're in union with him by faith. And it's only his life-giving sap of love and power flowing through us that allows fruit to be produced in our lives. And so the way we we grow in worship and intimacy and obedience is not by focusing on the fruit. It's focusing on our faith about pressing into Christ, the vine, trusting in him more. This is living by faith, focusing on him. Behold, in other words, beholding him with eyes of faith. Fixing our eyes on him with faith. Don't focus on the fruit, right? Don't focus on the end result. Instead, fix your eyes on Christ. Behold him, grow your faith. Paul David Tripp has a help, helpful picture of this. He calls it fruit stapling, and the picture is this. If, let's say you got an apple tree in your front yard and every year that tree just produces rotten apples every single year every year you it produces these nasty apples that are just rotten and mealy and you can't eat them okay and you're sick of it so you're going to fix the problem so what do you do you go to the grocery store you buy a crate of beautiful apples and you go and staple the apples to the tree okay you staple these apples now you got this tree full of these beautiful apples okay this is what we do when we try to focus on our behavior, when we engage in behavior modification. The problem is not really the problem is not really the fruit, right? The problem is the tree. The problem is the core of the tree, the root systems of the tree. Jesus says that, "Make the tree good and its fruit will be good." Matthew 12:33. So when we focus on the end result, whether it's worship, obedience, or whatever. Our focus is on that instead of our faith. We're doing what the Pharisees did. We're cleaning the outside of the cup. We're behavior modification stuff instead of allowing the Lord to grow us. And God is the only one who can produce real fruit in our lives. The Holy Spirit's the one who can produce the fruit. So again, our, our focus should not be on changing behavior or on the end result. The focus should be on our faith, our trusting in the Lord. Because we remain connected to the vine, the Lord Jesus, through faith. And it's through faith that, as I said, his life-giving sap of love and power flows through us to bring about this change. So here in Hebrews, God is calling us to focus on our faith, our trust in him. Again, faith is this internal certainty of unseen realities. So focus on your confidence, your certainty in who God is constantly. Constantly remind yourself that he's good that he's loving, that he works all things out for the good of his people. Focus on your faith. And ultimately, and here's what's great, focusing on your faith, as I said, means focusing on God himself. That's what faith is, is beholding him with eyes of faith, fixing your eyes on him, beholding him on his throne, being certain about his promises, reminding yourself of his promises. I try to do this on my phone. I remind myself twice a day. I've got to just set up on a daily basis, a reminder about truth that God has spoken, right? So one of them, early in the day, I have a reminder. It pops up on my phone, and I even personalize it. It's from John 16, 27. Jesus is speaking, and I hear him say this to me every day, and I personalize it. This is what it says. Literally, on my phone, it pops up and says, the Father himself loves you, Jeff, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I get that every morning from Jesus. Okay. In the afternoon on my phone, I get a pop-up and it's from Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of you know it. And I personalize it. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, Jeff plans to, for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then I say, be certain of this. Okay. This is just living by faith. So I'm doing this I'm seeking to focus on my faith, my trust in the Lord, rather than on my behavior modification, okay? I want us to spend our energy focusing on trusting in the Lord, having this internal certainty about who he is and what he said. And what happens is when this happens, when you focus on beholding the Lord, growing your faith, the Holy Spirit works in you. He works and he transforms your life. And it may be slow, but you'll start seeing fruit in your life. You'll notice that your worship of the Lord will grow as the fruit of faith. You'll notice that your intimacy with God will grow. You'll just be walking with God in the day-to-day, growing in your intimacy with him, just communing with him. Just just experience right now, just knowing that he's right here with us and he loves us and he looks on us with love. And and what happens is when you're confident of that and you're focusing on trusting in him, then you watch and your life all areas of your life are going to grow, okay? So that's why I'm asking, would you be willing to put some energy into focusing on your faith instead of on the end result, okay? That's my encouragement. Trusting that, that God is good. He's got things under control and he loves you. This is faith, all right? This is walking by faith in our day-to-day lives and it pleases God. It pleases him. So when you have this certainty, it, 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 it pleases him, it brings glory All right, so put your focus on him. And as I said, I'm convinced as we seek to live by faith, as we seek to draw closer to our God through faith, like Abel, like Abel, you'll see your worship grow as a fruit of your faith. Like Enoch, your intimacy with God will grow as a fruit of your faith. And like Noah, you'll see your obedience grow as a fruit of your faith. And God will do this. God will give you the growth that he wanted. He'll bring about the change you wanted. And as a result... Not only is it for our good but not but it will bring him glory and make him look glorious amen amen let's pray father and our God we love you and praise you Lord we do thank you for just being here and I pray for my friends here that that we would have a greater awareness of your presence that we would know you're near us I do pray that our our faith, our confidence in you would grow. I pray that we would really take efforts to grow our faith, not on changing behavior or trying harder or whatever, not polishing the outside, not fruit stapling, not just trying to make ourselves look good, but that we would really press into you, Jesus, by faith. We'd know you love us. We'd be, have this confidence about your promises, about your goodness, and about your love. So help us, Lord, to grow in that. And I pray that you, for, especially for my friends who are suffering, that you would help them to press into you and that they would really be confident. They would have a, an optimistic attitude that you're working and you're going to bring good about through these difficult times. So help us, Lord, to be people who grow in faith, to press into you, and that we would produce, you would produce fruit in our lives for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.